Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 30. John 10, 22 through 30. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Most Christians don't know much about Hanukkah, but that's too bad. We should. Not only does this holiday commemorate a fascinating story, it actually helps us understand Christmas. Here's the story. When Alexander the Great died, his empire was divided into four parts, and the part that included Israel was ruled by Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the worst tyrants to ever trouble the people of God. Antiochus was determined to wipe out the Jewish religion and to impose Greek culture and religion on all of his subjects. So he burned Torah scrolls, he outlawed Jewish festivals, he put the lights of the menorah out in the temple. In fact, dedicated the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to Zeus, sacrificing a pig on its altar and putting a statue of a Greek god right there in the temple. He sent emissaries throughout the villages of Judah with a, a mini altar and sacrificial pigs to enforce con, uh, con, um, version on the Jews. Um, people would signal their compliance by coming up to the altar and eating a little bit of the forbidden swine's flesh, and the alternative often was, was death. But in one village to the northwest of Jerusalem, the emissaries of Antiochus got more than they bargained on. A Jewish priest named Matthias refused to participate in this sacrilege, and he and his sons killed the Syrian soldiers. One of those sons, Judas, was nicknamed the Maccabee, the Hammer, and he led a rebellion that eventually ended the Syrian scourge. Three years to the day after the temple in Jerusalem was defiled, that holy place was purified and rededicated, 
it was the 25th of Kislev. We would call it December 25th. The menorah was lit again, and the people began a tradition of celebration that has continued ever since. Well, this is the story commemorated by Hanukkah, and this is the festival where we find Jesus in John chapter 10. John led us in reading verse 22, then came the feast of dedication, and some of you may have English translations with a footnote that says that is Hanukkah. This was the feast commemorating the dedication of the temple two centuries earlier. Then came the feast of dedication. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. Jesus does Hanukkah. And one lesson that we can draw from this Hanukkah story in John 10 is that our Lord Jesus was an observant Jew who loved the Jewish scriptures, who honored the Jewish festivals. John's Gospel shows Jesus preaching and debating on the Sabbath and at Passover and at the Feast of Tabernacles and here at Hanukkah. He was where any devout Jew would want to be at that time of year, in the temple courts. And uh, maybe it's obvious, but I'll state it anyway. Anti-Semitism should have no place whatsoever in any Christian's heart. Our Lord Jesus was a Jew, is a Jew. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the body he assumed at Christmas and which he still wears is a Jewish body. This is now part of who the eternal Son of God is forever and ever. And although it is true that the Gospels, including John 10, sometimes seem to make the Jews out to be the bad guys, this is a superficial misreading. Although many, most of the officials, rejected Jesus, uh, he, he found followers by the thousands among his people, and the first generation or two of Christ followers were all or predominantly Jewish. So what does this Jewish holiday observed by our Jewish Jesus teach us about Christmas? Read on. Verse 23 again, he was in the temple walking in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 24, the Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Are you the Christ, the long-expected deliverer? Are you the one that our people are longing for? And the reason that Jesus had not answered that question as plainly as they were hoping for was that in that political, cultural climate, to just say, yes, I am the Messiah, in so many words, would be a claim that was misunderstood. Because his contemporaries were expecting a Messiah in the mold of Judas Maccabeus, 
Someone who would finish the job that the Maccabees began, throwing off Gentile rule and establishing an independent Jewish state. And you can think about how some of our Christmas carol lyrics might have been heard by that generation. We sing lines like this, Come thou long expected, Israel's strength and consolation, born thy people to deliver. Or, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here. Yes, mourns in lowly exile under Rome's heel. Are you that one, they ask? Are you that Messiah? The Hanukkah crowd wanted to know. And Jesus knew what they could not yet understand. That Messiah would have to suffer for sinners if he was going to rescue them from their worst enemy. Their worst enemy was not Antiochus or Caesar, but the sin that separated them and that separates us from a holy God. And he had come to suffer the consequences of sin in their behalf and our behalf. He came to deal with that problem. The political stuff could follow later. And Jesus evidently thought that although he had not said in those precise words, yes, I am the foretold Messiah, that those with eyes to see should have been able to figure it out. Are you the Christ, they asked? And in verse 25, he answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. Do you know the miracle associated with Hanukkah? When the Jews purified the temple a couple centuries before John chapter 10, they, uh, they relit the seven-pronged menorah candle stand. But there was only enough consecrated oil to keep the candles burning, the lamps burning, for one day. And yet, miraculously, it stayed lit for eight days until the oil was resupplied. And that's why still today, for eight days, late November, early sometimes late December, Hanukkah lights menorah. Miracles are unusual occurrences, interventions of God into his world to show people, demonstrate his involvement with his people. And nobody in history had done the kind of miracles that Jesus had done. Healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, walked on water, multiplied Loaves and fish. One Jewish leader at least got it right. Back in chapter 3 of John, Nicodemus said, Sir, we know that no one could do these miracles you're doing unless, unless God was with him. And it should have been clear to everyone that God was with Jesus uniquely, that he was uniquely anointed by God. The Anointed One, capital A, the Messiah. And so we sing, what child is this? 
This, this is Christ the King. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Messiah has been born. Is this just pious Christmas poetry? Not for me. I believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and my Lord and King. How about you? Jesus continues in verse 26. You didn't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they, they follow me. Well, where does this sheep and shepherd metaphor come from? It seems to just come out of nowhere. Well, that's because we didn't read the first nine verses or the first uh, 21 verses of this chapter where Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. Um, John 10 makes much of the image of Messiah Jesus as the shepherd of Israel. And this kind of shepherd imagery was in Israel's mind at Hanukkah. They remembered that a couple centuries earlier, their shepherds, their leaders, had largely failed them. Some had accommodated themselves so much to the prevailing culture that when Antiochus instituted his diabolical program, they lacked the moral stature to resist. They, they couldn't shepherd their people because they had no convictions for which they were prepared to die. And during the Hanukkah liturgy, Jews read from Ezekiel 34, where God blasts the faithless shepherds of Israel and promises to give his people a true leader, a son of David, in fact. Jesus, maybe? We sing, oh, come thou son of David, come. We sing, to you in David's town this day is born of David's line, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Like the people in John chapter 10, we long for worthy leaders. Where, where can we find them? Where can we find a worthy leader? What are our options? A Barna poll asked teenagers who they looked to for leadership and guidance in troubled times. Results were not encouraging. Fathers were number 25 on the list. Mothers, number 11. Music and friends topped the list. But adults turned to false leaders and voices as well. A Tribune article reports on a woman who calls herself an intuitive healer. She claims supernatural power to diagnose and heal your ailments over the phone. Pagan pastors promise help for infertile couples. 30 minutes of magic and they can help you with their potions and ceremonies to conceive. And of course, every few years, Dozens of candidates for the presidency promise more than any human being can deliver. Well, Jesus presents himself as the one 
and only shepherd that we can count on for time and eternity. My sheep, verse 27, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Theoretically, that could just mean the Father and I are on the same page. The Father and I work together in preserving those who trust me. But interestingly, those who heard Jesus that Hanukkah understood him to be making a bigger claim. Because in the next verse where we broke off our reading a few minutes ago, verse 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father, for, for which of these do you stone me? No, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus' claim to a unique relationship to the Father was understood by those who heard him to be a claim of equality with God. Blasphemy, unless it was true. Antiochus Epiphanes, like other megalomaniacs in history, had delusions of divinity. His title, Epiphanes, means the manifest God, or we might say, God in flesh appearing. And now, a couple centuries later, Jesus comes along with a similar claim. The Gaul, at Hanukkah of all times. God's people are in the temple celebrating the defeat of Antiochus and the purification of the temple, and now Jesus stands in that temple claiming deity. No wonder they were ready to stone him. Well, what do you think about some of the things that we sing? Emmanuel, God with us. Come and worship, come and worship Christ the Lord. He came down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all. Son of God loves pure light. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Again, I ask, is this just... Nice holiday sentiment that we sing? Or is the man who almost got himself stoned to death at Hanukkah really God in the flesh? That's, that's the question posed by Christmas and made even sharper by this Hanukkah story in John chapter 10. The other issues raised by this chapter are important as well. The Jewishness of Jesus his messiahship, his qualifications to be a, a leader we can trust. But this is the question 
Is he God? If not, the other questions don't matter. If not, then you could argue he's not a whole lot better than Antiochus Epiphanes. And we probably ought not be celebrating his birth. Forget tradition and sentiment and whether Christmas is good for the economy. Christmas is wrong if this man claimed to be God, but he wasn't. And we should all have the courage of the Maccabees to resist this blasphemous dishonoring of our God. But what if the Gospels are right? What if these documents penned within a couple of decades of the events accurately report Jesus' self-understanding? What if the ancient creed gets it right? We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down, was made flesh, became man, suffered, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is coming to judge the quick and the dead. If that's true, let's worship and adore him, Christ the Lord. A Jewish historian, Moshe Perlman, caught something of the significance of the Maccabees' victory. He wrote a statement that you might expect to hear from a Christian author, but it's, it's especially poignant coming from a Jewish pen. He says that if Antiochus had succeeded in stamping out the Jewish faith, there would have been no dramatic crucifixion of a Jew in Jerusalem 200 years later. And a Christian writer commenting on that observation says, so Hanukkah lights and Bethlehem's star fuse to illuminate a skull-shaped hill and provide a greater light for the people of centuries not yet born. A lone Jew would indeed die on a wooden cross just beyond the temple courts where the menorah lights were rekindled by pious Jewish priests. And thus it was that the Lamb of God became the light of the world. And that light still shines.